Alice looked over the cathedral grounds at Tuck's Edge. She wanted to say goodbye to the town. It was a strange place, but it was almost like a home. A second home to the druid girl that she had lost in such a short time. Annabella, the very scary dwarf woman, came in not long ago. She said she could open some kind of door that allowed everyone to leave. People were lining up. But after Sister Claire removed the arrows from Alice and healed her wounds, she needed a little space. The clouds were so close. Thunder cracked and the small child could feel Shamhara in the vibration. Pip promised a teacher to talk to the Earth Mother on her own. Except Pip said to commune. It wasn't a word Alice heard before. She liked what it meant. It was one of the last things Pip ever taught her. Thunder rumbled as the cold rain fell in sparse, fat drops. The drums were silent outside of the town walls. Alice was so tired she couldn't cry. Brother Francis cried out. Alice didn't understand the words at first. Get in the cathedral, the human yelled. Over Brother Francis' shoulder rode the fat mayor and a small swarm of town guards. Alice couldn't imagine what these people wanted. The people from the east were bizarre. The fighting in the town while an army was outside made no sense to her. They killed each other over tiny little things. They all worshipped a god for some reason. It made no sense when all the creatures and food came from Shimhara. They lived on top of her very flesh and she nurtured all their bodies. Why would they care what some creature they couldn't even see thought? But they did. And when they disagreed because that god was invisible and apparently mute, the people killed each other. That didn't make sense either. Why hurt other people when no one knew what the mute god actually wanted? When druids killed, they killed because someone invaded their territory or hurt their land. Wait, no, she corrected herself. They killed the Silver Ferret tribe to get more land for hunting, didn't they? The land was Shamhara, and how could any druid tribe own Shamhara? When Pip used to help Alice speak with Shamhara, she learned that the Earth Goddess was her own person. Could any group own Shamhara? Alice didn't like that idea. She wasn't sure why. Alice was certain she was right, though. Alice! For the love of Theos, get in the cathedral! Brother Francis seemed really worried. His round face was really red, like it got when he was mad. But he didn't seem mad now, just scared. His fear scared Alice. She saw one of the guards put a torch in a bottle with a rag hanging out. The bottle wasn't on fire, yet, but the rag was. With a grunt, the guard threw the bottle. Run, Brother Francis! Alice yelled. The bottle hit the short fence that surrounded the cathedral. Fire exploded in a ball. It was an orange halo behind the priest's body as he charged toward her. His cloak was on fire. She could feel the heat as the fireball came closer. Alice yelled as he lifted her onto his shoulder. They were inside the cathedral. Brother Francis slammed the door. He threw a heavy wooden bar across the door to block it. What's the matter, brother? Sister Claire asked. The mayor and the city guards are here to kill us. What? We have an army of demons about to invade the town. Why would they do that? Sister Claire started to laugh. To Alice's horror, Brother Francis started laughing as well. I know. Why are we doing the demons' job for them? Oh well... People are leaving soon, right? Already started. Annabella opened the portal to Castle Delacroix. 
It's where the Archbishop and most of Kringle Falls are now. Those demons destroyed the sacred city of St. Allegis, and the mayor wants to kill us. <laughs> Brother Francis and Sister Claire burst out laughing. Alice joined in too, though she wasn't sure why. Alice broke away and made her way to Kirkin and Carling Bear. She was ready for this new castle Sister Claire mentioned. Alice wondered what one looked like. Everyone talked about castles like they were the most beautiful houses in the world. Another bottle of fire shattered one of the colorful windows. It exploded on the cold stone floor. Sister Claire dove to the floor as fire burst over a number of townsfolk, priests, and poor Brother Francis. A swell of ravenous cries led the wave of Red Hand followers as they rushed from the meeting house. They flooded the road, desperate to overwhelm Dunsmere and Tapper. The congregation's cries drowned out the thunder. Drop the stone, the blonde elf in elaborate armor cried behind Dunsmere. Tapper turned and fired his complicated crossbow. You will face Theos' wrath, goblin, the elf cried. Theos loves goblins. His whole revolution was started to save us, you moron, Tapper cried. In a breath, another crossbow bolt was loaded and fired. Tapper cursed as his bolt missed its target. That's an impressive contraption, Dunsmere said. It's kept me safe for years. That and running away, Tapper said. Dunsmere was certain Mother Charlora wouldn't be far behind the blonde elf. He wanted to turn his head and look, but knew that couldn't happen. The Red Hand couldn't keep the stone. With Theo's blessing, Annabella would be in the cathedral, sending people through a magical door to safety. Dunsmere would be able to hand off the stone to one of the priests, Brother Francis or Sister Claire, maybe. Then Charlore wouldn't be far behind. Like Annabella said, for years Charlore got along just fine without him. She would be fine now. Red Hand congregates cut through the alley in front of them. They formed a wall, their self-righteous rage overcoming any thoughts of their own safety. Dunsmere dropped to his shoulder and charged the zealots. Bronson Drummond was knocked on his back. Dunsmere tripped over the cobbler's feet. The paladin landed on the man. Mud swelled around them. With a cry, Dunsmere hoisted the Adenia stone above his head. Bronson's skull cracked under its weight. Dunsmere drove the stone deeper as he used it to hoist himself to his feet. His legs were numb. Tapper was no longer with him. Dunsmere couldn't stop. He had to make sure no one got to the stone. The idea of handing it to someone else was devastating. Dunsmere heard Tapper cry behind him. What was he doing? Why was he abandoning everyone for this stone? Was it really that important? They had an escape. Why was he so determined to save this hideous thing? The lullaby was in his head again. It called to him, reminding him of the mother he never had, offering him the safety only a child could feel in maternal arms, a holy alien feeling, and yet one he desired with his entire being. The paladin cried out to his god. A peace came over him. The pull of the lullaby existed, but it didn't draw him deeper. Dunsmere turned. Tapper's blade pierced Belinda Carlson's calf. The woman fell into the mud. Her cries to Theos fell on deaf, divine ears as Tapper ran over her body, pausing only to drive a blade through her throat. Dunsmere, Tapper yelled. Behind you. 
Dunsmere turned. The blonde elf brought a sword pommel down on Dunsmere's nose. A deluge of blood ran down the back of the paladin's throat. He was on his knees, choking. Sinking into the mud next to him was the Adenia stone. Behind him, Tapper screamed. Above him stood the elf, bringing the sword careening toward Dunsmere's head. Dunsmere called to his steed, but Valiant was still absent. Mother Charlure wheezed with every breath. The copper taste of blood came with each exhalation. In a whisper, she called on Theos. Her focus was on nothing but her destroyed ribs and her lacerated lungs. As the divine magic coursed through her body, the marrow and flesh came together. Able to breathe again, she grunted in sore relief. Screams exploded from the top of the staircase. A scrum of Red Hand followers were beating Arda as she lay on the ground. Charlure rose to her feet. She pushed Marybeth's corpse off the wooden stairs and onto the dirt floor below. Mother Charlure started up the steps toward Arda. She readied her weapon as she heard some other druids screaming in pain from the gathering room of the meeting house. The pile of red hands erupted, bodies flung against the walls. Where Arda laid a few moments before, a large brown bear stood on its hind legs. A claw removed the face of Bartholomew Lafferty. Bones shattered, claws flashed. Blood poured as the shaman exploded in a chaotic flash of carnage. Then it was done. Arda carried the windpipe of Eugenia Tolence in her ursine jaws. The druid made her way into the meeting house to save her cubs. Mother Charlure smiled as Arda sauntered out of her sight. She took a breath and prayed a mantra. Now was time for the priestess to focus on her own cubs. Charlure made her way to the opposite staircase across the dirt floor and out the cellar door. Rain poured down as thunder crashed. There were pockets of screams, not just on the road in front of her, but throughout the town. A prayer was on her lips for safety for her friends, for the children that those in the cathedral may escape. Her tone shifted. Mother Charlure kept her communion open. She no longer called for safety, but for strength, for power. Energy crackled through her. She and her hammer were one. A crowd of Red Hand followers charged down the street. She heard Tapper's yells over the crowd. Mother Charlure caught a glimpse of Alal standing over someone, his sword drawn. Maybe it was Tapper? Mother Charlure raised her hammer and screamed divine words. A holy cacophony crashed louder than thunder and with as much force as a concentrated tornado. Several red hand devotees were on the ground, many dead, the divine sound so violent that they hemorrhaged internally. Alal was on the ground. Mother Charlure was sorry to see he was still moving. Well done, Charlure, Tobias said from behind her. He said a word, and a large sword made of pure divine energy appeared. Charlure had seen this once before, when she and Baldo rode up on Dunsmere fighting the Wyvern. She saw it remove the head of the Wyvern in one swing. You've been a worthy adversary, the prophet said as the sword careened toward her. Brother Francis was on fire. Sister Claire was beating on his frock with an old blanket. Throughout the cathedral, Alice saw there were a few people who weren't moving. Smoke rose off their bodies, still smoldering. Kirkin, Carling Bear, and Alice ran for pitchers of well water placed throughout the cathedral. Annabella ran past the children. The dwarf woman's coldness scared Alice almost as much as the fire. 
Carling Bear got to Brother Francis first and doused the priest. Kirkin and Alice did the same a second later. Sister Claire smashed the blanket down on him with a loud slap. Brother Francis coughed. He looked pale. Some of the skin on his face already formed blisters. He would scar if he wasn't healed. Thank you, children. I think I'll live. I think. Sister Claire gave him a quick hug. You'd better. Alice was puzzled why they were both laughing again. They were a strange pair. Humans were weird, but these two more so. When she first arrived, she thought they were actually siblings. As she learned their religion, she understood that brother and sister were just titles. But the two of them were close. They were always laughing and seemed happy. It was different from Mother Charlure, who was always serious. Or Dunsmere, who was either really fun or really angry. Alice was glad they were laughing at least. Get back in the line. You children have to get out of here, Sister Claire said. Aye, Annabella said. The portal door is open. People are already going through. They'll expect you there in Delacroix. Alice believed the woman, but she wanted to stay and help. Kirkin and Carling Bear shared her feelings. It wasn't enough for them to just leave. After the Golden Leaf Grove was destroyed, Tuck's Edge was home in a way. Although it was weird and the customs didn't make sense, Alice knew she was safe and loved. The front door creaked, then screamed as the wood was smashed by something on the other side. Ornate images were carved into the door and told some kind of story. Mother Charlure told her many times about it. Alice found it hard to pay attention to those stories, though. They were fantastic and filled with magic, but Alice thought it was weird to rely on something that wasn't a part of you. When the druids told stories of Shamhara, it was understood that all creatures were a part of her. Every stone, every bird, every person was a part of her spirit. So, she reasoned, there was no need to think this Theos god was different. Surely he was made from the same stuff as everything else was made from, the stuff of Shamhara. The images on the door splintered as something heavy slammed against it. Annabella was standing on the shoulders of a statue of one of the important church people. She had a crossbow in her hands and was looking through the broken window. The woman fired and Alice could hear a male scream through the door. Another bolt fired, another scream. It was the only time Alice saw the dwarf woman smile. Carling Bear was the quickest of them all. He ran to a bow that was placed upon the wall. Alice never really noticed the bows, arrows, swords, spears, and hammers that were placed throughout the cathedral. She saw them, of course, but she hadn't understood their purpose. They just seemed like barbaric decorations. Looking at the cathedral again, Alice realized that it was made to be a protective fort, as well as a church. Even the statue Annabella stood on was made for that purpose. Another statue was opposite Annabella's, and a priest, Brother Jonas, aimed his bow through a small opening in the big colorful window. This is why she liked Easterners. They were weird, but they were always very prepared. Sister Claire prayed over Brother Francis. The deformities on his face were formed back into smooth, fresh skin. Kirkin was proud of the sword he grabbed. It was short, but Alice had to admit, it looked impressive in his hand. You have to go, children, Sister Claire said. We would just be standing in line. They could come and kill us where we stood, Alice said. I don't want to wait to die. You won't be dying today, little one, Sister Claire said. We're not going to wait to die, Carling Bear echoed Alice. Carling Bear and Alice didn't speak much in the grove when they were growing up. 
Since coming to Tuck's Edge, they played together a lot. He was so big she could play rough with him. He liked to play the games she made up too. Okay, children, you can stand guard with us while people are going through the door to Delacroix. But if anyone breaches this cathedral, you are running to that portal. Do you understand me? Of course, sister, Alice lied. Kirkin twirled his sword and bounced back and forth on the balls of his feet. Kirkin, do you know how to use that thing? Yes, sister. Dunsmere taught me. Seriously? Uh-huh. He really did, sister, Alice confirmed. It was so weird when adults refused to believe anything. Kirkin knows what he's doing, Carling Bear added. Alice nodded. Sister Claire muttered something under her breath. Brother Francis grabbed two shields from the wall and handed one to Sister Claire. Okay, okay, she said. You all stay back, though. Carling Bear, you aim true with that arrow. We don't want arrows in our ass, kid, Brother Francis said. The priests grabbed their hammers. Get ready, Annabella said. She sounded tense. The front doors were smoking. Fire consumed it from the outside. Alice took a few deep breaths and called on Shamhara. Cries of war were waiting on the other side of the door. They grew louder as the door splintered, then cracked. Then a battering ram came through the door. There were two echoing pops as it tore the door from its hinges. Alice saw Shamhara in her mind's eye. Guards rushed into the cathedral. Dunsmere crashed into the mud. In addition to his broken nose, his ears would be ringing for days, assuming he survived. In spite of the pain, the paladin was happy. He knew Mother Charlore's favorite spells from their months on the road together. This was a specialty of hers. He pushed himself up to get an assessment of his surroundings. Mother Charlore was facing Prophet Tobias in front of the open doors of the meeting house cellar. In front of him were bodies of many red-hand devotees, Tapper among them. Dunsmere wanted to help Mother Charlure. The Adenia stone was between him and the Red Hand bodies. Mud encased it. With each passing minute, it was engulfed by the soft ground. Thick, slow mud bubbles erupted around the stone's border, proclaiming the stone's descent. The blonde elf was within an arm's reach of the esoteric artifact. Thank Theos, he was either unconscious or dead. The elf seemed to be the central point of Charlure's spell. The paladin believed he could grab the stone and charge Tobias. Mother Charlure and he could finally end the vile prophet. Let him spend eternity with whatever dark deity he was actually worshipping. Dunsmere charged the carving. The blonde elf lay motionless. Theos was with Dunsmere. The paladin ripped the stone from the ground with ease. Tapper was on his feet, rubbing his neck. He saw Dunsmere and then turned to view the paladin's target. Let me carry it, Dunsmere. Tapper said. I'll meet you back at the cathedral. It's heavy. Dunsmere looked down at the stone. The disturbing image drew him. He felt the maternal pull once more. Tapper started to say something. Pain ripped through Dunsmere from back to chest. Dunsmere recognized that a blade point came through his torso a split second before his blood exploded onto the stone in Tapper's hands. At that moment, the stone began to open. It began to shine. But there was no brightness to this light, no warmth. A cold, stale light escaped from the horrific bas-relief. The stone opened, revealing a door. There was a path on the other side. Encasing the path was a miasma of tearing flesh. Some humanoid, 
but not quite, as though it were the first attempt at humanoid flesh. It was pulled and twisted by unseen forces, turning the flesh, making it pull, shred, bleed. Only the path was safe, and the light on the other end of this horrific tunnel was salvation. The paladin turned and faced the blonde elf. He had only a few moments before the blood loss would overtake him. There was terror in the elf's eyes. Under his skin, something moved, as if being pulled toward this tunnel. Something trying to escape the warrior's body. Something trying to get home. Dunsmere called on Theos. He grabbed the distracted blonde elf, wrapping him in a bear hug. Dunsmere threw himself backward. His weight pulled both of them through the stone. Mother Charlure leapt. The blow of Tobias' large magical sword smashed the road, raining mud on both of them. Another blow of the large mystical sword. Again, Charlure dodged. It's such a shame that you never saw the light, Charlure, Tobias said. I had some hope for you. Some hope that you'd be more than just a sheep of the demonic church. We could have brought salvation to this town. Instead, you brought destruction. This time, Tobias' sword caught Charlure in the chest. Her armor dented into her flesh. The wooden walls cracked as she careened into the meeting house. Tobias's bald head gleamed as lightning flashed. He stood over Charlure as she gasped for breath. Once we're done cleansing this town of evil, I'll be able to save the children, Tobias said. They're so tarnished by your indoctrination. I'm not sure I'll be able to save them all. Drums from the outside walls of Tuck's Edge started their war tattoo. The prophet jerked his head toward the sound. The look on his face let her know he forgot about the actual demons. Charlore smashed her hammer at Tobias' knee. The prophet screamed, his knee now bent the wrong way. Bone tore through the cloth pants. He landed with a cry of pain. Tobias chanted an incantation. Charlore recognized it. He was calling on the spirits to come to the material world and protect him. Mother Charlore brought her hammer down to interrupt the vile man. Air shimmered before her, like heat radiating off the ground on a high summer day. Then a tall figure stood in front of her. Her swing was interrupted by the creature's body. The creature looked down at her with emotionless eyes. Its body was formed of a darkness wrapped in the aura of a shallow light. It was not the color black, but swallowed all the light around it. Its putrid yellow eyes stared out at Charlore. She charged the form. She struck. Charlore screamed as her bones chilled and her soul ached. Her lungs felt heavy and tired. Each breath was an effort. Charlore didn't remember dropping to her knees, but she sank into the mud. The creature above her was fading, going back to its own reality, its bidding for its master done. Tobias stood next to her. His legs were both intact now. The demonic figure, not just stopping her, but providing the prophet time he needed to heal. Lightning reflected off the sword blade in Tobias's hand. Charlore fought to breathe. No words this time. The prophet held his sword high above his head. Her breath was returning. As the creature faded, so did its spell on her. She could breathe. Charlore began to stand. Tobias' sword smashed into Mother Charlore's face. Later, Carling Bear would tell her that branches grew out of her mouth and from her eyes. Alice didn't recall that. She found herself in darkness, only a single source of light in front of her, a small bead of light in the palm 
of Shamhara. Alice knew it was Shamhara, even though the goddess looked as young as Alice was. Shamhara's hair waved in a breeze that Alice couldn't feel. Her skin was almost wood, like that of a dryad. Her eyes were like a large, warm spring. They reminded Alice of her parents and the night she slept between them in her tent. Shamhara offered the bead of light to Alice. The young gnome picked it up. She knew it was the correct thing to do. It wasn't a bead, but an acorn. It belonged out beyond the western wildlands. Shamhara raised her eyebrows, her almond eyes asking Alice if she would deliver it. Alice nodded and held the acorn to her heart. The small child felt strange, but wonderful. The acorn became hot, almost painfully so. Alice knew it was weird to feel good as this happened, but she couldn't help it. She felt all of the great isle, all of this world, all of Shamhara. Only to be called forth once she left the western wildlands behind her and planted the tree once more. Until that moment, Alice and the acorn would be one. Brother Francis would later tell Alice that the vine sprouted from her and did terrible things. Things it's a shame the boys had to see. But if you hadn't, I don't think any of us would be standing here today. Kirkin would tell her how he was the first to stab the fat mayor, but that it was she who called the ground to rise up and strike the man. I softened him up for you, though. Alice remembered nothing until Arda appeared. The large bear tore through the crowd of town guards and red hand followers. Through the broken door, Alice saw that Tuck's Edge was on fire. That rain couldn't even put it out. Arda's bear form was covered in blood. Some of it her own, most of it those of her enemies. Her eyes connected with Arda, and she knew that Arda was her sister. Maybe it was how Sister Claire and Brother Francis were sisters and brothers. But Alice didn't think so. That was different. Her connection with Arda was older. Alice wasn't sure what that meant, but she knew it was true. Annabella was the one who picked her up. I don't know what the hell that was, miss, but I very much approve. Alice didn't remember much at that point. They made it through the portal, and they made it to Castle Delacroix. That she knew. Brother Francis, Sister Claire, Arda, Annabella, Carling Bear, and Kirkin were all there. But no Tapper, no Dunsmere, and especially no Mother Charlure. Keep the portal open, Alice cried. What? Annabella asked. That seems like a very bad idea. Please, just for a few minutes, please. The acorn tattoo below her neck burned. She looked to the now humanoid Arda for help. Arda nodded. Just a few moments, if you don't mind. I see something, Alice said. Someone's moving on the path. What path? The portal doesn't... Annabella asked before looking through the portal. The scary door froze, scared herself. Tobias screamed as a crossbow bolt pierced his cheeks. He couldn't close his mouth. There was no chance of him casting some spell. Charlore would have smiled if she could. The first blow from Tobias' blade broke her jaw, splitting her face and taking half of her left ear. A moment ago, she was terrified that she wouldn't be able to call upon Theos' healing magic. However, Tobias being in the same predicament was pleasurable. Another bolt pierced his chest, and Tobias dropped. His face was a mask of terror. He was on the ground, screaming, 
Charlora rose, lifting her hammer. She towered over the screaming heretic. Mind you, Mother Charlor, Tapper said. I had a clear shot until you stood up, that is. There was a time she would have seen Tobias as a creature of Theos, a creature worthy of reforging, worthy of a second chance. If she were asked a few weeks ago, Charlor would have preached that there was not one creature on the Great Isle that didn't deserve a second chance. Redemption was her philosophy. It was her life. It was her religion. Mother Charlor brought the hammer down on Tobias' head. Then again. Then Tobias' skull lost all structure. Then the skin tore. Then she was smashing the wound that was once his head. Mother Charlor didn't stop. Tapper grabbed her arm. Now, Mother Charlor, I can appreciate the violence. Mind you, I participated. But now is time for us to go. Mother Charlor looked around for Dunsmere. There were bodies of red hands strewn about, but the paladin and Elal weren't anywhere. They, um, they went into the stone, which is a strange thing to say, but mind you, it has been a very long and very strange day. Mother Charlora walked to the Adinia stone. Arcane light shined from the ground, reflecting off the rain, becoming an enormous lamp. She looked through the stone. Dunsmere was on the path below. He was fighting a lull. A path through what Charlore could only assume was a hell. A place of pain and punishment. Mother Charlore dove through the stone. Death summoned Dunsmere back to consciousness. This new body was resilient. The paladin pushed himself to his knees. Before him, the blonde elf was doing the same. Dunsmere noticed that there was something underneath the elf's skin. Not just one thing, but many little bulges. Some of them were the size of walnuts now. Whatever moved beneath the blonde elf's skin seemed to be drawn to the tunnel of flesh and blood around them, like it was trying to escape the elf form and join the carnage that was this reality. You don't understand. I am Elal, the blonde elf said. I am the savior of the Great Isle. I rose from the dead on my own. I am chosen. Without me, the whole world is damned. Dunsmere was aware that Alal moved toward the sword on the ground, the same sword that had run Dunsmere through only moments before, one that Alal dropped upon landing on this path. The paladin dove for the sword. Even severely injured, Dunsmere had faith in this new body. Not that he had much of a choice. The sword was knocked away as Alal dove. The elf jumped onto Dunsmere's back and grabbed his throat from behind. His hands were powerful. Dunsmere thought he could hear the bones in his neck start to crack a few more moments and they would shatter. Dunsmere gasped as the hands released him a moment later. The paladin rolled onto his back. It was a better defensive position. In front of him was Charlore. She was bloodied and her face had been cut open on the left side. Her jawbone could be seen cracked and broken. Dunsmere was elated. Charlore smashed the hammer down again on Alal's head. The body jumped. It twitched. Small creatures within it scrambled, then stopped. Charlore, Dunsmere said. She pulled him to his feet, and they embraced. They were home. Mother Charlore, Tapper cried. Her head fell to the ground of the pathway. Behind her, Alal stood, his blade still elevated. 
His face caved in, revealing what was underneath. Small, brown, fat, worm-like creatures swarmed under his flesh. They were attempting to knit his skin back together. A bolt flew through Alal's head. It interrupted the flesh worm's work, but didn't stop the self-proclaimed savior. Run, Tansmir, for the love of Theos, run, Tapper called. The goblin continued to fire bolts from his handheld crossbow as he ran to the light. Dunsmere set the body of Charlor down. Run! Tapper screamed. Alal had Dunsmere by the throat. He hadn't been taller than Dunsmere in Tuck's Edge, but here he towered over the paladin. Dunsmere called out to Valiant for strength. Where his steed once resided in his heart, it was vacant. He understood his mission. Dunsmere felt his windpipe cracking. There was no stopping this creature. At least, he didn't have the power to do so. But he could stop it from recovering. He could stall it from reforming. Dunsmere drove his fist into the open wound that was Alal's face. The paladin ripped through the wet creatures that made up this elf. The nose was no longer there. Dunsmere pulled the flesh around the right eye, causing the eyeball to plummet to the path. The creature called Alal squeezed Dunsmere's throat. It cracked and popped. Dunsmere wheezed for breath and continued to tear at the creature. There was no saving himself. The paladin knew that, so he tore and gripped and ripped. Dunsmere remembered the vial of fire Annabella gave him. One more left. The paladin reached into his pouch. Dunsmere threw it at the creature holding him. The flames erupted. Dunsmere was on fire, but so was Alal. There was almost no flesh left on the blonde elf. The creatures that made up Alal tightened their grip and broke the paladin's neck. Dunsmere died. Tapper! Alice screamed. Hurry! The goblin was running down the pathway as fast as he could. A literal wave of small snakes or big worms were chasing the goblin. Annabella started firing her bow into the portal, cursing that she didn't have any more magical fire or something. Tapper turned and fired his bow. The goblin's eyes got big as he realized what followed him. Do you have any more energy in you? Arda asked Alice. Alice thought that she did. She closed her eyes and called on Shamhara. She understood that the Earth Mother had no true power in this place. Alice would not be able to summon the vines from the ground to encase the flood that was following Tapper. Alice looked at the ground of the castle. From the stones below her feet, Alice called upon deep roots, deep vines. They were thick, but willing to bend for her. For the part of Shamhara, Alice carried with her in her own essence. With precision, she weaved the roots together until they formed a long, thick ramp, one she could control. Alice guided the ramp toward Tapper. The flesh worms were at his feet. A few jumped onto his boots. She could hear his scream, but it was distant. The gnome girl was focused on the part of Shamhara she had forced into this alien territory. Tapper jumped onto the ramp. He dropped his crossbow as Alice lifted the vines and pulled them back. As soon as Alice pulled Tapper through the opening, Annabella closed the portal. That was, mind you, I've lived through a lot. That was the weirdest, longest day of my life. Alice, Carling Bear, and Kirkin hugged the goblin. Tapper hugged them back. They all wept. Blackness. 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 Dunsmere shivered. 
nothing was around him. He found he could walk, but did not know where he was. Dunsmere wasn't sure if he was in fact moving. He could see himself, and nothing more. The paladin wandered in the darkness. He cried to Theos for help. There was no response. Then the tears came. Dunsmere cried. He cried for the people he hurt. He cried for the people he loved. More than anything, he cried for the people he loved and still hurt. As he cried and walked, he accepted the darkness as himself. He forgot Dunsmere. He was just he. Soon words left him. There were just six names he remembered. Mother Charlore, Kirkin, Alice, Carling Burr, Annabella, and Tapper. He didn't know why they were important, just that they were. He wandered the darkness. He chanted the names. Then the names became muddled. Then they became different words, until the only name recognizable was Charlor. As that final word began to slip, he collapsed and began to cry. Helpless and scared, lost and alone, he who was no one, for an eternity he cried. Hoofbeats, hoofbeats, hoofbeats. Each beat was a memory, a part of who he was. His childhood with Baldo, his life as an acolyte at Kringle Falls, the roads he once walked and the dangers he once faced. His loves came back to him, the family in Tuck's Edge he once had, even if only for a short time. Dunsmere stood up. A white steed stood in front of him. Valiant nuzzled his face. Show me the way, Dunsmere said. Dunsmere followed the horse's guide once again. As he followed, all of his memories came back. The good and the bad. The light of Theos came first. Then the sound of the waterfall of St. Allegis. Then the clinking of an anvil. Then her laughter. Charlure looked up from her work at the forge and smiled at Dunsmere. The end. Thanks for listening to What Happened at Tuck's Edge, Part 10. I really hope you all enjoyed this story. It was originally plotted out to be about 21 pages, but as I got to know the characters more, I wanted to spend more time with them and expanded it to about 121 pages. So, um, as you could tell, I I really enjoyed spending time there and um, didn't really want to say goodbye, if you could tell from the release schedule of this. Anyway, uh, thanks for spending time with me in Tuck's Edge. I really appreciate it. What Happened at Tuck's Edge, Part 10, written, read, and edited by Alexander Floyd. Dunsmere, created by Benjamin Floyd. Music from filmmusic.io. Rights, unrelenting, sunset at Glengorm, Pyre, and our story begins. All by Kevin McLeod. License under Creative Commons Attribution Licenses 4.0. CreativeCommons.com slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0.